Satchel Page and Oscar uh, Charleston, you know, cool Papa Bell here in St. Louis. Why are they still segregated? Why aren't they looked upon as peers of totality if these are the greatest ball players? Their plaques are hanging in the wall, but yet I can't find them in the record books. I'm Sarah Fetsky. St. Louis on the Air continues right after this. Before we move on, I want to remind you that the biggest source of St. Louis Public Radio's funding comes from listeners like you. Because you value what you hear on St. Louis on the Air, donate today. Go to stlpr.org donate. That's stlpr.org donate. Last month, Major League Baseball made a big announcement. It was officially recognizing the Negro Leagues as part of the Major Leagues. That means statistics from Negro League players are now part of the game's official records. But does it mean more than that? How does it affect the 3,000 players who played in the Negro Leagues between 1920 and 1948? Well, here to discuss that and those players is Ed Wheatley. He is the author of Baseball in St. Louis, From Little Leagues to Major Leagues, as well as two other books. So, Ed, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back with you. So, Ed, should we consider Major League Baseball's recognition of the Negro Leagues a game changer? And, and if so, how? Well, I think it is a game changer. I think it's, a, it's an awakening of, you know, kind of the social nature of our culture right now, uh, you know, you see signs, black lives matter. Well, hey, black players matter, too, in the scheme of things. I mean, you go up to Cooperstown and you walk through the plaque room and you see plaques of many of these men who played in the Negro Leagues. But then you got to ask, why aren't there statistics included in the major leagues? Well, I think it's rectifying that. And I think there's a sweep across baseball to raise some ceilings. I mean, the Marlins, they brought in uh, Kim Ang as their general manager, the first female. So, hmm. you know, finally... Baseball is taking steps they should have taken a long time ago. So I've heard the argument from some people saying this diminishes the record uh, held by both groups of players, that they weren't playing within the same league. It doesn't make sense to compare Josh Gibson to, uh, why can't I think of a Major League Baseball player? You know what I'm talking about. Anyway. Yes, a great home run hitter. You know, Josh Gibson, great home run hitter yeah. for Pittsburgh. People are saying, hey, that that you know, you can't compare what he did in the Negro Leagues to what was happening in Major League Baseball at the time. What would you say to that? Well, I think there was, you know, we should be past that. I mean, they, these men, they play baseball. Their statistics may have been a little different, as you spoke of Josh Gibson. Uh, you know, his plaque talks about in Cooperstown. He is in Cooperstown, it's funny, you know, but he's, his stats weren't. He plaque says he hit over 800 home runs. When they go through the box scores, it doesn't fully add up to 800 because, you know, ne- Negro Leagues play generally about 100 games versus Major League playing 154 hmm. games during the same era. But, you know, they played in a lot of other venues of, you know, uh, non-defined Negro League games and, and things and uh, road trips and uh, barnstorming tours. But, you know, the, the key answer to that is when many of these players, like a Satchel Page, who only had six years in the major leagues, but he had 18 years in the Negro Leagues, mm-hmm. you know, or a Mini Minoso or, you know, Ernie Banks, all these great men, when they made it to the majors, they showed what they were made of and why they are the superstars of both leagues. But it, it really just, we put everybody together. And, you know, this, the superstars are going to be in the Hall of Fame. Many of them already are. But it's looking at the statistics. You know, when you look at Satchel Page, who actually pitched here in St. Louis for the St. Louis Browns in 51, 52, and 53. Mm-hmm. You know, his statistic, and many say he is the greatest pitcher 
are one of the greatest pitchers who's ever played the game, whether it was in the Negro Leagues or Major Leagues. And you took leave out those 18 years in the Negro Leagues, and all of a sudden, you know, 1,600 strikeouts, 146 wins. That really puts him in to be seen as one of the top men who ever threw the baseball towards home plate. So this shows the totality of what Satchel oh. Page was able to accomplish, not just the, the brief correct. period. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a great argument right there. The counter I hear to that is that the Negro League's record keeping wasn't up to par with what the major leagues were able to do. Do you have any concerns about that? Well, I think that uh, most of that has been answered. You know, in 1969, Major League Baseball... Uh, they did some re-reckoning. They added some teams because in the early years of baseball teams, there were uh, in the 1860s and 1870s, teams fell in and out all the time prior hmm. to 1901. And they added some teams as recognized as major league teams, but they ignored the Negro Leagues. And what's happened since then, you know, men like Larry Lester, like uh, the Seam Heads organization, which has created a, a Negro League database, so many entities have worked so hard for the last several decades going through record books, going through newspapers, I mean, to document and to validate what they're saying were the numbers. So I think when you look back now, you know, we're in a, a much easier uh, computer-generated world instead of going back through Microfish or, or old newspapers. They were really actually to come and make this case that we feel we have a very qualified uh, record of what these individual men did across the Negro League. So I think that, you know, you're always going to have naysayers. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't recognize... That a Satchel Page and Oscar uh, Charleston, you know, cool Papa Bell here in St. Louis weren't great ball players. Yeah. Why are they still segregated? Why aren't they looked upon as peers of totality if these are the greatest ball players? Especially as I said at the moment, early morning, their plaques are hanging in the wall, but yet I can't find them in the record books. Well, we're curious, if you're listening to this conversation and you're a big baseball fan, we're curious to hear your perspective. What do you make of Major League Baseball's uh, move on this? You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on Air, and you can join me and Ed and, and share your opinions about all this. Ed, are there going to be some important Major League uh, Baseball records that are going to, to fall because of this? A, a Negro League player will move to the top of the list. You're going to see, like I said, some of these Satchel Page, he will now be shown in some of these upper categories. You know, a guy like Willie Mays, you know, who, you know, for years was, you know, at the top of uh, the home run behind Babe Ruth, behind Hank Aaron. Uh, you know, he's not going to go up much because he only played uh, one year in this period of the Negro Leagues. And just to clarify what we're talking about when I made that statement, mm -hmm. the records they're looking at are between 1920 in 1948, there had been pseudo-Negro leagues uh, that were in existence prior to 1920, but in 1920 it was formalized in Kansas City, Missouri, which is why the Na uh, Negro National League, uh, Baseball League Museum is housed in Kansas City because that's where it was farmed. So, and in 1948 they stopped because most of the uh, we'll call it preeminent and good ball players from the Negro leagues had already gone into uh, some major league programs following Jackie Robinson crossing the color line in 1947. Okay, so they're not looking at every um, African-American player who played prior to Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. It's this very specific league and the records that were set within that. That's correct, 1920 to 1948.
So I want to talk a little bit about St. Louis's relationship to this league. I understand we had two teams, maybe I should say at least two teams. What was St. Louis's first um, uh, uh, mention within this league? Well, it first came in, and you know, the St. Louis had a team called the St. Louis Giants, uh, and they were a good team. They had some great players, and as I said, several of the five men who were inducted into Cooperstown that played either for the Giants or the St. Louis Stars, uh, some of them played for the Giants. As they transitioned to change their name, as they changed ownership in the early 1920s to become called the St. Louis Stars. Hmm. Now, the Giants played right on off Broadway and 270 at Clarence and Broadway. If you're coming down 70 towards downtown, you make a big sweeping curve around O'Fallon Park, just on the east side towards the rivers where the Giants played. And if you go up in Midtown, uh, right about where the new uh, soccer stadium's going, right there where Harris Stowe across from Chaffetz, there's a baseball field. That's where the St. Louis Stars played. And the St. Louis Stars became the preeminent well, I'll call the first period of the Negro League Baseball. In the 20s, the Stars were one of the, the best teams of all. They won three uh, world championships in the Negro Leagues. Uh, and then, then the Negro Leagues kind of died down because of the Great Depression. And, you know, just the financial viabilities of these teams were folding. And then coming out of the late 30s, again, going into the 40s, they picked up steam. Hmm. So... The Giants and the Stars were in the early years, and then when the second period of their rise again, St. Louis had these smaller teams, and often they shared uh, a team with, let's say, New Orleans. They were, you know, the St. Louis and New Orleans team, and they, they played in both cities. Now, I'm going to give a plug to your book again, Ed. This is a, a past book you wrote mm -hmm. that, that uh, included a lot of great history of the Negro mm -hmm. Leagues. This is called Baseball in St. Louis from Little Leagues to Major Leagues. You had just a heartbreaking anecdote in this book, and this had to do with uh, the St. Louis Giants. That was then the Negro League mm -hmm. team here in St. Louis uh, trying to play right. at Federal League Park. Can you tell our listeners about what happened when they were trying to acquire this park for themselves? Well, the, <laughs> the owner of... Uh, the Federal League, who would then go on to, to purchase the St. Louis Browns, he did not want an African-American team playing in his park. So their their park was basically, you know, they were going to share it. And then they became defunct because they were going to move up to Sportsman's Park at, at Grand in Dodier, where the Browns would play, and then eventually the Cardinals would move in with the Browns. But rather than allowing an African-American team to take over that park, he had all the seats removed. So they couldn't play. <laughs> that I just... mean, it was just blatant, you know, uh, segregationist policy and, you know, just, you know, just it, take it all the seats today. out. Let's let, yeah. I mean, that's I guess that's just one tiny example of what these guys oh. were up against. It, it, it was so many. Uh, you know, it's just it's amazing what these guys went through. You know, we've done roundtables uh, and I've did many talks and, you know, been on your show before talking about the, the Negro Leagues. And, I, you know, one of my close friends, uh Nate Crump, a 100-year-old uh, baseball veteran here in St. Louis. He played you know, for the Negro Leagues. He, he did lots of tryouts, and that's where I was leading. He chose not to play, and he made his mark in the world of science and the space program. Actually, he got recognized by John F. Kennedy, who's president, uh, for some things he did for NASA on a couple of the early missions of, of space flight. But he chose not to play because these players told him, and this was the same time, the movie The Green Book came out, hmm. and we were we were talking on a panel, he and I, about these gentlemen 
you know, you think about the luxury of Major League Baseball players traveling in, the, in those days and trains here, there, and everywhere. In Negro Leagues, it was by bus. Where would I be going? What towns would I have to go through? Where would I eat? Where would I sleep? You know, mm-hmm. many times they couldn't, you know, a game would run long and they couldn't get to the next town and they would be sleeping somewhere in a parking lot on a bus or they'd come to a town and the town wouldn't let them eat and they would eat their dinner was picking apples out of an orchard. And, you know, it was a, a tough period these gentlemen went through in, in, in this. And, uh, you know, for many great ball players, they chose not to take that path. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nate was one example. There's others. Uh, you know, here in St. Louis, George Altman is one of the, uh, he played for the Cardinals in, um, 1963. He, uh, he was, uh, uh, a former Chicago Cub. He was a three-time all-star. He still lives here in town. I stay in touch with him. He was, he played with the Kansas City Monarchs. And, you know, you listen to the tales of how it was different when he made the major leagues and what it became. And, hmm. you know, um, it's just to, to go back, baseball was no different than the rest of our society, which was a segregated society. And much of baseball was played in the South in those periods in the Negro Leagues. And it was true uh, Southern society and politics in those days. Yeah, you can see how a, a man would decide, you know what, I just I don't even want to deal with this. I love baseball, but I don't want to have to play under these conditions. For those who did, who, who made the choice to to play in the Negro Leagues, do we have any sense of how many of them are still alive today to even know that they've gotten this recognition? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there were 60 men who, uh, excuse me, I said 60, I mean, of, of, of this of this period, you know, we've got 130 players that are still alive that played in the Negro Leagues. Most of them, all but four of these 130, played after 1948. So that's how this window is has narrowed. There's only four men alive who played in the Negro Leagues in 1948. <laughs> Willie Mays, Bill Greeson, Clyde Golden, and Ron Teasley. Willie Mays, of course, is the one that everybody recognizes. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, of the 3,000 men who, who this are being, their records are being added, only four of them are alive. Hmm. And then, like I said, when the Negro Leagues finally folded in the, in the, in the mid-50s, you know, there's, there's just 126 left who played in those leagues. And do we know, um, as a group, if, if they have a, a policy or a reaction um, to the Major League Baseball's decision here? Well, I think they open, open, welcome it with open arms. Many of them have been called out. The spotlight's back on them. You know, they've been on a few radio and television programs. They're being interviewed for magazines and being interviewed by some of us looking for, uh, you know, our work in creating some new uh, stories about the Negro Leagues and its importance and how Major League Baseball is, is stepping up to the past. Well, Ed, that's actually a great, uh, I'm glad you reminded me of this. I understand you're working on mm. a book, um, and this mm-hmm. is specifically about the Negro Leagues this time, not just part of a, a bigger story. What's going to be the focus of that? Well, I mean, you know, in the, in the baseball in St. Louis, you know, you can't have baseball in St. Louis without telling the full story and uh, the African-American experience uh, that took place at the amateur as well as the professionals. So we, we talk about these young men who played in, in, in St. Louis at Tandy Park. Tandy League was the big uh, amateur uh, playing. And then, you know, you had the Stars and the Giants and a few of these uh, shared teams of, of the late 40s. But we're going to take that approach that we did and, and do it for the, for the whole Negro Leagues, how, you know, baseball not only impacted St. Louis, but as baseball 
It was first created, the rules we know today, it was 1846 up in Hoboken, New Jersey, how it crossed the country and how baseball parallels that society transformation uh, across. And, you know, for, like I said, over 100 years, it was a segregated world. And how was baseball played in that segregated world? Do people realize some of the hardships that we just spoke about a moment ago that these men endured? It, it wasn't, you know the, the uh, Babe Ruth type, you know, uh, everybody cheering, go anywhere in society. You know, black baseball in the in the 20s and 30s was exciting. I mean, that people, they would fill stadiums. They would fill Yankee Stadium. They would fill Sportsman's Park when they played special games here in St. Louis because they played a faster, more competitive, more challenging game. Uh, not, you know, the slower go for the home run. I mean, they, mm -hmm. they were running and cheering, and it was just an exciting game, and that's brought a lot of attention and I think a lot of uh, just entertainment to the, to the African-American community at that time. These were their heroes. This was their, uh, their people, if you will. And, and Ed, you mentioned, you know, these, these filled stadiums. I understand Stars Park, which you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. It's over there by Harris-Stowe. It was the first Correct. professional park in the U.S. owned exclusively by African-Americans. What happened to that stadium? Well, you know, that stadium just slowly uh, decayed as, as the uh, stars were, uh, you know, they got caught up in the financial crisis of the Great Depression. And, you know, they became defunct mm -hmm. uh, after 1931, like the rest of the league. And it just came into decay. And, you know, fortunately, the ground is still there. The baseball diamond is still there. The uh, Harris Stowe uses that for their... Uh, their college teams actually in my senior leagues we still play on the on that diamond and huh. so baseball Louis goes on, on on that ground yes. yeah and the st louis cardinals just last year um were uh put brought forth several million dollars to refurbish that uh stadium we were supposed to have uh last may a big ceremony down there honoring the 100th anniversary of the negro leagues that you know just oh. like everything else it got canceled so we're hoping sometime from the st louis saber organization that we will re-engage uh, in this partnership with the Cardinals, the partnership with Harris Stowe, and honor uh, not only Stars Park, but all these men from the Negro Leagues. Well, I really hope you're able to do that. I swear there are so many things I keep saying the minute this pandemic is over, but this feels <laughs> like it really ought to be a priority. So let's have that 100th year celebration, maybe just a year or two late. That's so, correct. Ed Wheatley, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing your knowledge. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Always glad to be here. And Ed's book is Baseball in St. Louis, From Little Leagues to the Major Leagues. Um, and there it, sound, it sounds like there will soon be a book devoted specifically um, to Negro Leagues and the African-American games that were going on here in St. Louis. That's going to be a great read. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.